Alrighty, hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the first day of March 2023. Happy Wednesday. Happy hump day to you. I'm Derek Hunter. I am your host. Quickly, before we go, I want to get to the show as quickly as possible. Talk about uh, patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast or DerekHunter.locals.com. Go there, support the show, alleviate all the guilt you have, obviously, for getting such fine quality entertainment and information for the cost of nothing. For five bucks a month, you get not only bonus shows, one every Saturday with a lot of foul language, be warned, but you get to enter once a week a contest to win an autographed book by people you heard of, like Brad Thor just gave away, or David Limbaugh, I'm looking at his book, or who knows, Mark Levin I've given away. We've got uh, this week, it's Dana Lash versus Governor Christine Ohm, both autographed. You pick, you win. It's that simple. Anyway, thanks to everybody who supports, everybody else. Come on, get on it. Let's do this thing. Now let's start the program. Action-packed program, as always. First off, I've got to say, I um, I could have sworn, and I'm still not convinced. I didn't text him to find out because, who knows, you can sometimes, uh, maybe something happened or maybe I was just wrong and I don't pay that close attention but i thought that tucker was supposed to be like having his big expose it was supposed to start last monday he said eh, we've gotten forty-four thousand hours of the january 6 videos we've had them for a couple of weeks we're gonna take another week to look at them and then we'll report next monday maybe you just said next week i wasn't taking notes but there wasn't a um, i didn't pay close attention because i was doing other things but I would have noticed if they did a big report. It was on, and I was in the room, and there was no big report. So I could have sworn that we were going to get the January 6th surveillance footage yesterday. We did not. Maybe we'll get it this week, but I'm no longer going to talk about it ahead of time as though it's for certain because I don't know what the hell is going on. Just don't know. But there is other things Going on. There are other. There is other things. There are other things going on. We're going to start off today with some audio. Our lovely, lovely Secretary of Homeland Security, Javier Becerra. But before we get to that, I just want to demonstrate a little bit. The left is uh, very. It's weird when when something goes wrong in the administration. You can always count on the very historically bad Karen Jean-Pierre to jump in and say, well, this is, prob- this is a problem from the previous administration. As you know, the previous administration really screwed up. They really screwed up the border. How? By enforcing our laws and making sure that as many people as humanly possible not only didn't enter the country illegally, but they had uh, their consequences for trying to do so. That that. That sounds an awful lot like the way every American is treated when they, when we break laws. But it just doesn't work out that way when it comes to the sweet, sweet, nourishing illegal alien because Democrats care more about illegal aliens than they do about you. Right? They do. They just do. Well, um, these people have been in charge for a very long time. And just like the train derailment, you've got these idiots on the left going, Trump's deregulatory policies were what caused the train derailment, or they might have. You never know. The Washington Post did a deep dive into that, and they found that there was nothing. 
that the regulations that the lefties are pushing did not have anything to do with this particular train derailment. But still, they're out there going, well, we just don't know. We can't say for sure. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. Well, I don't know. The deregulation would have only put one conductor on a train like that. Yeah, but there were two. So even though the regulations were in place, the rules that you want us all to live by um, were still being adhered to. Yeah, but you never know. You do know. Because if you thought for a second that that was what caused this, wouldn't you immediately reverse the regulations that were changed? Wouldn't you immediately reinstate those regulations? Wouldn't Joe Biden? It's not like Joe Biden is sitting there going, well, I don't really have the authority to do that. It would be wrong for me to do that. It might be an overreach of power, and I'm reluctant to do any sort of overreach in power. B.S., that same guy, if that guy ever said that, which is not true, is today having his administration argue before the Supreme Court that they have the authority, by the stroke of a pen, to forgive a trillion dollars in student loan debt. So it's not like they're sitting there going, I don't know, I, I wouldn't. This is a gray area insofar as overreach goes of the executive branch, and I just don't feel comfortable doing that. Spare me, okay? Spare me. They're frauds. They're liars. Anyway, they uh, they are pushing everything. In, in this border situation, they have tried to blame on the Trump administration. Because why? Because reasons. Because when you're asked about the border by somebody from NBC News, you know that blaming the Trump administration will not be immediately followed up with, give me a break that has nothing to do with what's going on. They're on board. They're on the team. They check the box. They ask their question. They got an answer that will allow them to talk about Donald Trump longer. And that's it. They win. But if you really look at the border situation, they have been in charge for two plus years. They have opened the border. They have no interest in securing our border. They came in and they said, we are going to do the opposite of what the Trump administration did. And they have. The Trump administration secured the border as best as humanly possible. The Democrats will not. The Trump administration questioned the children, the sweet, sweet, nourishing, illegal alien children who were being sent to this country by themselves. I don't understand this fascination that Democrats have with these kids insofar as if you just come across the border, some 10-year-old, you are just long-marched 2,000 miles by obviously neglectful parents. And what is the first act that our government does? It is not to take you and say, we're going to protect you from those horrible people who sent you on that march. It is, we will honor the wishes of those horrible people who sent you on that march by paying to ship you off to wherever in the country it is that you have uh, pinned to your underwear that some alleged relative lives. Now, we're dealing with third world hellholes and people who are in the human smuggling business. Is it too much to think that some might be in the human kidnapping business? You could probably take a kid and convince a kid pretty easily of all sorts of things. Who knows what sort of horrible, horrible things are going on down there. Plus the, uh, the orphans in general, the sexually exploited children that the third world produces. Democrats just pretend it's not happening. They don't care that it's not happening. Maybe they're customers. Who knows? I don't want to pass any judgments on them except to say that they're horrible people and I would put literally nothing past them. 
But you get some 10-year-old, 12-year-old marching across the southern border going, oh, my mommy's here. My daddy sent me to be with my mommy. Well, your mommy knows that you're coming. Therefore, she's complicit in the abuse. By the way, your mommy's probably here illegally. Judging by the fact that she paid uh, $10,000 a going rate to human traffickers, to drug cartels, to smuggle you and God knows how many tons of fentanyl up the Mexican coast rather than buy you, I don't even know what the most expensive flight from a third world country in South America would cost to anywhere in the U.S. But considering that a lot of people make those flights, I can't imagine it's more than $1,000. I can't imagine it's more than, especially when you're going just one way. There's a reason they choose the human smuggling route, and it is not that their status in this country is guaranteed. Even though, honestly, that's to be pretty damn stupid. Why wouldn't you? I'm just here to visit my mom. That's your perfect excuse to get off a plane. But uh, they are turning out, it's turning out as the Democrats prioritize, we must, we must reunite these abused children with their abusers or the people responsible for their abuse. We must reunite them. It would be wrong. It's turning out that more and more of these kids by the left's own standards are being exploited here in this country, being put to work, being abused, and they're leaving their so-called guardians, their family members, who they have no proof whatsoever. They're actual family members. If you're going to believe the drug cartels and notes pinned to underwear, then you'd believe anything. You'd be qualified to, well, be a Democrat in the media. These people are gross, and it results in this story from the New York Times yesterday. Alone and exploited, migrant children work brutal jobs across the U.S. The subheadline arriving in record numbers, they're ending up in dangerous jobs that violate child labor laws, including factories that make products for well-known brands like Cheerios and Fruit of the Loom. Child exploitation. It may be just is if they're being put to work if they're still with their alleged parent or guardian that was here, the one that just couldn't wait to to hug little Junior soon as they got across the border and then were shipped up to wherever they're living their illegal alien lives. If uh, It turns out that maybe Aunt Bessie or whatever wanted them to come to the United States or Mommy or Daddy wanted them to come back to the United States, not because they miss little Junior, They probably couldn't really miss Little Junior all that much if they left them years ago, just left and said, ah, to hell with you. Maybe someday I'll send for you. But maybe they didn't miss them so much. Maybe they said, you know what? If I got a little kid here, I can make some good money off that kid. What's the difference between a sex trafficker and a child labor trafficker? Well, the, the intent is the same. The methods are different. It's just different methods. That's it. The New York Times story. It was almost midnight in Grand Rapids, Michigan, but inside the factory, everything was bright. A conveyor belt carried bags of Cheerios past a cluster of young workers. One was 15-year-old Carolina Yock, who came to the United States on her own last year to live with a relative she had never met. And that love, doesn't it sound like parents of the year? If you were hoping to win parent of the year because you're involved in your child's education and try to do your best to raise them right, uh, forget it. You've just been beaten out. Well, some trans parent would probably win all of this, but uh, you've just been beaten out by this illegal alien. 
About every 10 seconds, she stuffed a sealed plastic bag of cereal into a plastic yellow carton. It could be dangerous work with fast moving pulleys and gears that had torn off fingers and ripped open a woman's scalp. They always paint the worst case scenario. They always paint a horrible picture. Having worked in factories like this, I once drilled a a hole through my middle finger, actually the fingernail on my middle finger. I was working in a boat radiator manufacturing factory and there was copper tubing that gets very small about the size of a pencil it would come shooting out at a certain length you'd set the machine to come out and then it would be bored off and fall into a bin and at the end or at some point in this i don't know 12 foot length of of tube that you fed in there you had to reach in and put this guard down to cut a shorter one because the tube was too long to be cut evenly and it would have been wasteful so they cut a shorter one for a different size boat radiator and then everything worked out Well, well, you'd reach in there, put the guard down, the thing would come out, hit the guard, cut that shorter one, then you had to reach in with your fingers, just kind of scissor it, grab the the shorter tube so it wouldn't get mixed in with the big ones, and then just go straight up. And then the guard would pop up and make it so the next one could easily be cut the regular length. But every once in a while, this machine was old, as machines are, the guard would pop up and pop back down. It would just knock itself back down. So you had to kind of, when you reach in there to grab the short one, you had to reach in and lift up on the guard to make sure it didn't pop back down. Well, one time it popped back down, knocked my hand back down as the tube was coming out, and it drilled right through the center of my fingernail on my middle finger on my left hand. It really hindered my ability to to smoke cigarettes and flip the bird at deserving motorists for a while. It didn't go all the way through. Obviously, there's bone in there. But it went through the nail, lost the uh, the center part of the nail. It's about the size, like I say, of a, a pencil eraser. And I had to go to the doctor, and they, they couldn't stitch it up. They just sort of clogged it up with gauze, and I got a couple of days off of work. And accidents happen. Machines do. But it's not as though it was poorly designed. It was poorly maintained. There's a difference. This machine this kid is working on is torn off. Any machine will tear off fingers. Any machine will rip open a woman's scalp. That's why when you have long hair, mostly women, but not always, I've had long hair working in various factories, you have to wear a hat and pull your hair back. Put it in a ponytail. I don't like the way my hair looks in a ponytail. Do you like how your hair looks in a bloody mess with your scalp attached to it? Because that's the other option. Because the machine doesn't care that it picked up your hair. Just as an aside, I wanted to point that out. The factory was full of underage workers like Carolina who had crossed the southern border by themselves and were now spending late hours bent over hazardous machinery in violation of child labor laws. At nearby plants, other children were tending giant ovens to make chewy and Nature Valley granola bars and packing bags of Lucky Charms and Cheetos, all of them working for the processing giant Heartside Food Solutions, which would ship these products around the country. Yeah, maybe they're being exploited by the, that company, but maybe they're also being exploited by their so-called family members. Do you ever stop to think of that? Maybe they're ultimately being exploited by their parents uh, or the drug cartels who are probably putting them up and taking a big slice of their earnings, just like Uncle Sam, who doesn't give a damn that they're here, and the drug cartels, who don't give a damn about their well-being. People don't want to make these connections. The Biden administration lets them in. 
the Biden administration let them in, which means the Biden administration is enabling this exploitation to the extent that it's, the extent that it's exploitation. Although I would say that I started working when I was 15 years old, I had plenty of jobs since then. Times have changed. Now liberal adults don't want to work, but working at 15 years old is not all that odd. So the the story continues, quote, sometimes I get tired and feel sick, Carolina said after a shift in November. Her stomach often hurt and she was unsure if that was because of her lack of sleep, the stress from the incessant roar of the machines or the worries that she had for herself and her family in Guatemala, quote, but I'm getting used to it. <laughs> She's being exploited by her family. She's being used by her family. I guarantee you, whatever money she gets, a huge chunk of it is going back to that lovely, lovely family in Guatemala that said, hey, 15-year-old, put your walking shoes on. It's going to be fun. I got a little, you need to get some more time outdoors. Yeah. Well, why wouldn't you call the, if you know about this, if this is truly, I don't know what the child labor laws are for 15-year-olds. But if this is exploitation, I guess reporting it in the New York Times is drawing attention to it eventually. But if she's been working on this report since November, wouldn't that make the New York Times reporters complicit in child exploitation for months on end? Look, we know you're beating the hell out of your wife here, sir. Or we know you're, you, ma'am, you, we know you're getting beat up by your husband left and right. But we're like four months ahead of, of when this story will publish. And we want it to be a bombshell. It won't be a bombshell. And it won't be the inside story of your abuse if and you call the police now. right? So if you just wait until we publish four months from now, you, you've obviously demonstrated you can take a punch. Maybe you can just keep doing that for the goodness of this. No, nobody would do that. No adult would do that. So why would an adult do that to a child? Because, well, it's the story. It's the agenda. It's, that's what it's about. It's about advancing the cause of liberalism one way or another. These workers are part of a new economy of exploitation. Migrant children, not migrant children. They're illegal aliens. They're never leaving. They're not coming with work as work moves around the world. They're not following a herd so they have food. They're not coming in for temporary seasonal work. They're coming here to live here for the rest of their damn lives. That is not migration. That is illegal immigration. Drives me nuts. Fox is even guilty of this crap. Constantly. I've dealt with people there. Like, and I say, hey, you know, there's a difference. And I explain the difference. I show them the definition of the word migrant. And then illegal alien. Oh, you're absolutely right. And they go right back to migrant this and migrant that. And migrant, migrant, migrant. Well, there are plenty of migrant workers who come into this country with work permits, permission to work seasonally, temporarily, and then leave. Those people are migrants. People who march into the country and get flown to Seattle, to Michigan, to wherever, and never, ever plan to leave or are trying to claim asylum, even though there's no way on God's green earth. They're not fleeing a war zone. They're just fleeing a horrible left-wing country, uh, which doesn't qualify for asylum. They are not planning to leave. There are, by the way, there are procedures to apply for that. They could do in their home country. They're not doing it. They've chosen the illegal alien path deliberately. They are not migrants at all, period. 
New York Times story continues. These workers are part of a new economy of exploitation. Exploitation! Migrant children who have been coming to the United States without their parents in record numbers are ending up in some of the most punishing jobs in the country. A New York Times investigation found. This shadow workforce extends across industries in every state, flouting child labor laws that have been in place for nearly a century. 12-year-old roofers in Florida and Tennessee, underage slaughterhouse workers in Delaware, Mississippi, and North Carolina, children sawing planks of wood on overnight shifts in South Dakota. Largely from Central America, these children are driven by economic desperation that was worsened by the pandemic. This labor force has been slowly growing for almost a decade, but it has exploded since 2021. Since 2021? Hmm, weird. While the system systems meant to protect children have broken down. Broken down. Broken down. See, the si- systems don't break down. Systems do not break down. The implementation of the system breaks down. The people whose job it is to oversee the proper functioning of the system, they break down. They're the ones who stop. A system is a system is a system. If it worked once, it will work forever. It might not be appropriate for your current circumstances, but it will work. Just like this left says, well, we have a broken immigration system. No, the broken immigration, there's no such thing as a broken immigration system. The system we had works. The Trump administration demonstrated that pretty successfully by implementing it almost completely faithfully. There's some things they were lax on. Certainly, uh, maybe it was Congress, whatever, the administrative state, the deep state dragged its feet on doing some things. But more of our immigration laws were actually implemented and enforced under the Trump administration than in probably the last 40 years, 30 years to be sure. But when you stop saying, well, well, we're going to, eh, we're not going to patrol these areas of the border, or instead of catching and immediately chucking back across the Rio Grande illegal aliens, we're going to catch them, take their names based on the honor system. Maybe some fingerprints, but who knows? The smart ones will have uh, wiped them off their fingers. And then release them into the United States with a pinky swear that in three to five years they'll show up at a court date to find out whether or not they are actually allowed to stay in the country. Oh, and by the way, they'll be allowed to work or they will be working in the interim. Well, what do you propose? I propose that they should not only not be allowed to work, that it should be a $50,000 fine to hire any of them. To hire any of them. For every single one of them, not per incident, but per illegal alien. It'd be pretty simple. Because then nobody'd hire them. Then there's very few people would hire them. Think of the revenue. Democrats love revenue to the federal government. Think of the revenue to the federal government you would get from the companies just listed in this New York Times article alone. Be a boon to the economy of the government. <laughs> but no. No, instead, they're just let in the worst game of Red Rover ever. And nobody says anything because it's the system. The system is broken down. No, if you actually enforce the system, if the Biden administration had said, hey, uh, illegal alien, I don't care how old you are. Where are you from? You're going back there. We're sending you back home. 
We'll call the phone number in your underwear. We'll set up a meeting. We'll say, hey, where's uh, Little Junior here from? All right. Thank you. Oh, Little Junior is going to be at the airport in Seattle tomorrow at noon. Make sure you're there. And uh, hold up a, a, a sign and a yellow rose, and we'll make sure that Little Junior gets to you. In the meantime, you put Junior on a different plane back to wherever the hell Little Junior's from, and you dispatch ICE agents and uh, FBI to Seattle to find the leftist illegal alien with the re- yellow rose to charge them with child exploitation and then sentence them for that once they're convicted. Then after their term is up in prison, deport their ass. Pretty simple. I mean, I'd be in favor of if you wanted to just skip the child endangerment thing and just get them the hell out of the country so we don't have to pay for three hots and a cot for five years. I'd be in favor of that, too. I could see both sides of it. But the end result is you get them out of the country because they are here illegally. Then you say, well, Derek, according to the New York Times and Democrats and lefties everywhere, say yesterday, Karine Jean-Pierre told the uh, White House press corps that, look, we need we need immigrants. They don't differentiate between legal and illegal. We need more people in this country because we need more people to fill jobs, especially women. Not sure why we need especially women. But especially since nobody knows what a woman is anymore, right? Just have all the illegal alien men crossing across the border, especially the ones with the face tattoos and say, I'm a woman. I am chick. Let me in. Get all the Eastern European block dudes over here going, hey, I am chick. I am woman. Hear me roar. I am boxer woman. <laughs> I don't know why we need women especially, but whatever. But if we, uh, I don't know. If we took the various COVID reliefs money, and there are a lot of uh, jurisdictions across the country that are sitting in piles of COVID money, and they're going, what are we going to do with this? We don't need it. We don't have the problem we had with COVID. They, even when the Biden administration was spending that uh, $1.4 trillion uh, COVID emergency funding, the people were saying, we don't need it. We're, we're kind of good right now. They said, no, we've got people to pay off. We're going to do this. So now these cities are sitting on piles of money, and what are they doing with it? Our government isn't clamoring to get that money back, by the way, going, you know what, we're just going to, it's like a credit card you maxed out and overmaxed out, and you could say, all right, I'm going to return this pair of shoes, and it'll just wipe it off my debt. You could do that. It's money that was going to be created. It's not printed anymore. It's just digital, mostly. But they could uh, just wipe that off, maybe help in the inflation fight, Right? Instead of charging us through the rear ends at higher interest rates, you could just take some of the money that caused the inflation through its creation out of existence and thereby speed up the recovery from inflation, right? Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be smart? That's why they won't do it. Instead, you get these local governments going, we're going to use this money to study whether or not we should pay reparations. They're thinking $5 million a head out in San Francisco ought to be enough to make up for slavery for people who weren't slaves from people who didn't own slaves. Give me a break. God, this is, oh, you hate, sounds like you hate the left. It only sounds like I hate the left. Because I do. I mean, eventually you've got it. There's a culmination of things. You can only take so many punches in the nose before you start to harbor a grudge against the people punching you in the nose, can't you? 
don't you? Anyway, <clears throat> the Times spoke to more than 100 immigrant children, immigrant child workers in 20 states who described jobs that were grinding them into exhaustion and fears that they had become trapped in circumstances they could never have imagined. Hmm. Hmm. Our government going to reunite these people with their with their families. Nothing better than family, right? Yeah, the Manson family. The labor force uh, has been. Uh, let's see. The Times examination also drew on court and inspection records and interviews with hundreds of lawyers, social workers, educators, and law enforcement officials. In town after town, children scrub dishes late at night. They run milking machines in Vermont. They deliver meals in New York City. They harvest coffee and build lava rock walls around vacation homes in Hawaii. The hell you illegal alien into Hawaii? Girls as young as 13 wash hotel sheets in Virginia. <laughs> oh, no, now there's a kid. He's got a head tattoo. And they don't have an Oscar Lopez, a ninth grader? That kid does not look like ninth grade. I would question the ages of some of these things. Remember the kid in uh, Montgomery County? A couple years ago, there was a uh, alleged... I think it was alleged. I mean, they might have been convicted by now. A couple of uh, rapes or sexual assaults on young girls. I don't remember the exact circumstances in Montgomery County schools. And it was by sweet, sweet, nourishing illegal aliens. And it was like a 21-year-old 10th grader or something like that. And you're going, what the hell? That's because uh, the people streaming across the southern border are not PhDs with seed money looking for their tech startup in Silicon Valley. They are illiterate in their own language. They don't speak English. And they come from cultures that, quite frankly, you wouldn't want a vacation in. You might go, well, I'm going to go. I've been to Colombia. I've been to this one or that one. You went to the major cities. Did you go out into the villages? You probably didn't, right? I've been to Mexico. Yeah, you go to those nice resorts on the Pacific Ocean or in the Gulf of Mexico. All-inclusive. Why are they all-inclusive? Because they don't want you to leave the resorts. They pick you up at the airport, they take you to their grounds, and they say, don't leave the grounds without like being approved of where you're going and part of a group or whatever. You don't want to go just wandering past the gates because there's a whole bunch of criminal element out there ready to get you. You can have a great time in Cancun as long as you stick to your resort. Don't go anywhere near the city of Cancun. So I'm looking at this ninth grader, Oliver or Oscar Lopez. That doesn't look like a ninth grader. That looks like a, I don't know, 22-year-old dude. So you, you have this problem of basing most of what you get in reporting, even to our government, based on the honor system. But these children are allegedly being exploited, 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 exploited. And so what does our government do? What does the Secretary of Homeland Security, what is keeping him up at night? What is it that he is trying to prevent or protect? He's got to protect the American people that can be his only priority, right? Isn't that the way? No, not at all. In a video conference call with Department of Homeland Security staffers with Border Patrol agents, with the people processing these sweet, sweet, nourishing, illegal alien children, Javier Becerra 
whined and complained that it is not going fast. They're not being processed fast enough. This is an assembly line. Stamp them and get them out there. Corporate America, liberal corporate donors, needs slave labor, apparently. They don't give a damn about reuniting families, as we've already established. If you, speaking of that COVID money, where I was going with that, the COVID money laying around, if you reclaimed that and you made it less lucrative to do nothing in this country, less lucrative, not lucrative at all, to sit on your ass and collect government checks, then maybe these companies, maybe there wouldn't be a demand for labor. We need to open up the borders to get more people in here. Maybe it wouldn't be there. Maybe the lazy Americans who refused to work because the government gave them so much money during COVID, they scammed it or whatever, they'd have to re-enter the workforce. You ever think of that, White House? No, you don't. Instead, you have a guy in charge of our homeland security, presumably ironically, saying we need to process these things. If this were Henry Ford, he'd be disgusted by the assembly line, the lack of an assembly line that you've created. Listen to him say it himself. Those are his words. If Henry Ford had seen this in his plans, he would have never become famous and rich. This is not the way you do an assembly line. And, and kids aren't widgets. I get it. But we could do far better than this. Kids aren't widgets. I get it. But they need. We got to do better than this. Kids aren't widgets. We need to make them into the widget factories, though. We need to get them right into the widget factories. Process them. Process them faster. My corporate overlords need them. Donors to the Democrat Party need them. They want them. Get them out there. Corinne Jean-Pierre, the historic. Corinne Jean-Pierre was asked about this. Her answer was typical. God, she's terrible at her job. If merit were at all a factor... In this administration, anywhere, Becerra would not have his job. He's not qualified to be director or uh, secretary of Homeland Security. You could make a case that he could be, you know, the attorney general of the United States, but Biden wanted a white guy in that position. But because he was attorney general of California, but he has no nothing. He brings nothing to the table for this. It's not Homeland Security. I'm sorry, uh, HHS, Health and Human Services. But listen to. Karine Jean-Pierre say, oh, no, uh, it's Trump's fault. It's uh, we have full confidence. There's nothing wrong with what you heard there. Follow up on the child labor issue. Uh, is the administration, is the president satisfied with Secretary Becerra's handling of this issue, given uh, the push that he and others made to more quickly re- release children to sponsors where they wind up in child labor situations? So let me first say, yes, he has full confidence in uh, the secretary of HHS. And uh, I'm assuming you're you're talking about the assembly line comment or is. So, look, you know, I just want to be very clear. Of course, the president uh, does not believe uh, that uh, that uh, processing migrant should be treated like an assembly line. And neither does uh, Secretary Bracera. His uh, I I would refer you to HHS addressed uh, that particular comment in the story and i would refer you to what he was uh what was said there <laughs> Yo, what are you gonna do are you gonna believe uh, what the guy said at a moment he didn't realize he was being filmed or are you going to believe the spin that the professional communicators put on it afterwards of course you have to believe the spin the professional communicators put on it afterwards after the private comments were accidentally uh, released to the public 
Do any of these people deserve the benefit of the doubt? Absolutely not in any way, shape, or form. Churn them out. The mill needs more grist. Give me those kids. Oh, by the way, it's Donald Trump who was really mean to those those sweet, sweet, nourishing migrant children. He's separated them from their alleged parents. Yeah, you haven't uh, haven't made any effort whatsoever to separate them from their corporate masters. Which their alleged parent that just marched them two thousand miles, or their alleged corporate masters who has them doing jobs they could lose a finger or their head or their scalp or whatever. Which one's worse, there, Democrats? Which one is worse? Don't answer because you'll just lie anyway. The thing that really, actually, you know, the thing that really drives me nuts about Democrats is they act as though, they pretend as though, they insist, in fact, it's not even just pretending, that they corner the market on compassion. They do. Those non-caring evil Republicans. Oh, they're slaves to big business. Eh, No, you look at Wall Street donations, look at big business donations. They go to Democrats. They do. Look it up. Not not uniformly, obviously, but by and large, certainly in larger numbers than go to Republicans. Oh, they're just, they're all about the big guy. We're all about the little guy. Oh, maybe you're about the little illegal alien getting a job till their fingers get ripped off and then they're disposed of and get uh, replaced by another sweet, nourishing, illegal alien you get in here. All this stuff, we we are the compassionate people, those evil, heartless Republicans. Well, who's in, who's in favor of and who's in enabling child exploitation? Well, that's different. It's, you're, you're judging. Don't judge. You can't judge us. Hell yeah, I can judge you. <laughs> I can judge everything about you. You have to be judged. That's your job. You're in politics. That's really what you deserve. I mean, it's actually better than you deserve. But it is amazing to me that these people sit there and insist that they are the compassionate ones. No. Um, all right. On the, uh, it's, it's rather funny. I told you yesterday that you watch the leftist media circle the wagons and try and find ways to get out of this lab leak story with the uh, COVID-19. The China virus. And they are. They truly are. It is shocking to me to watch these people run around and pretend that this is beyond the pale. Even suggesting that this happened is beyond the pale. Now, there's account after account. I played you a montage yesterday of leftists saying, well, the reason we don't really discounted the lab leak theory in the first place was because it was pushed by Donald Trump. Like, oh, okay. That's a it's a hell of a confession about your lack of journalistic integrity and decency as a human being in general, because a decent human being would not go on and do the things that you did in the name of, well, it's because Donald Trump said it, that we're going to be against it. But um, now that the Department of Energy admitted with low confidence, and there's a lot of jokes being made about that. Well, they're doing it with low confidence. Here's what low confidence means, because I don't, I haven't seen anybody explain what it means. Think of it as in terms of scales, right? There are really only two options for the coronavirus uh, pandemic. Two. 
one, it was created in a lab and somehow escaped. And in in that, you could say it was created in a lab and weaponized, and then it was released. If you really, but as far as just the origins of it, not the motivations for the origins behind it, the origins for it are: it was created in a lab. It was manipulated through gain of function manipulation and its genetic code, a genetic code that uh, the original strain that the Chinese communists will not share with us or anybody in the world. They've destroyed that information, so kind of lend some credence to that. So it either was developed into a lab, manipulated, or it occurred in a uh, in nature, and somehow somebody ate something or something pooped on something that was eaten. Somehow this virus got into a human body and said, hey, this is pretty nice. I can reproduce here, after having never previously been able to reproduce in the human body. Both are possible. Which one's more probable? Since we, the Chinese Communist government will never cooperate with the investigation, we will never know for certain. We will never know 100%. But you've got to remember, even in criminal convictions, beyond a re- it is beyond a reasonable doubt, not beyond all doubt, not beyond any doubt. In civil cases, it's beyond a preponderance of the evidence. So it's like, well, it's more this than that. In criminal, it's, it's yeah, it's probably, I mean, there's very little doubt that it was this person. It's not beyond a shadow of doubt. It's beyond reasonable doubt. Like, yeah, I guess O.J. might not have. Maybe somebody killed O.J.'s wife, ex-wife, and and, and, and then planted all the evidence all around everywhere and put his fingerprints in their blood somewhere. Maybe. It's possible, I suppose. I mean, realistically, if you wanted to make any absurd argument, you could say there's no way because you'll never get beyond a shadow of doubt. That's why we don't have that standard. But when it comes to these investigations, it is, you know, my confidence is low, confidence is high. Confidence is high means we have a lot of evidence, we have a lot of proof, and it's most of it's pretty ironclad, if not all of it. All right, then there's there's no doubt, and that's when you've proven something. But low confidence is not a, geez, um, don't listen to this. We haven't drawn a conclusion. Low confidence means that they have to draw a conclusion. Their job is to assess. And to assess is to not regurgitate what is known. It is to consume what is known, investigate it, and then draw a conclusion. On which side of the scale does that conclusion fall? It doesn't mean it tips the scales all the way in that favor. It's which way are the scales tipping? And the scales are tipping when you're doing low confidence means that we have now seen more evidence because it used to be that they were inconclusive or they uh, they didn't draw a conclusion. Now they have enough evidence that they've seen to draw a conclusion. means means that the scales were tipped more in that direction right? Not all the way, not, there you go, there it is, eureka moment. No, not at all. But it is, well, we've now reevaluated what we have, we've added new information, and it's certainly more likely than the other. So the scales tip towards lab leak away from nature. That's what it is. Now, that's what they're hanging their hats on. Again, you're not going to get much much more con- realistic at in a realistic terms when the Chinese communists are refusing to cooperate and they're a totalitarian state. So 
this is kind of the best that you can get. Instead, the media is greeting this as, well, low confidence. It's just, they have no confidence. They're just making this up. They're terrible. They're awful. They're terrible. They're just mean old people. In fact, being a slave to the administration, to the Democrat ideology, the progressive ideology, is uh, Stephen Colbert. I'm going to play you a clip of Stephen Colbert from his monologue last night. Now, keep in mind, this is supposed to be a comedy monologue. And what he is doing is he's doing fan service to the Biden administration. The Biden administration is hyper... It's very weird. Everything that Democrats claimed Donald Trump was about Russia and Vladimir Putin, the Biden administration is to China and Xi Jinping. Oh, he's just looking at... He's, uh, he's protecting him. His, his patron, he is... His friend, he's... he's enabler he's just that think about this administration and china have they done anything in any way shape or form that could be construed as standing up to or even contradicting the wishes of china right now there's no is right now there's no bigger bad guy in the whole world according to the biden administration than vladimir putin and china is actively working with vladimir putin and what has the Biden administration done? Nothing. Oh, they said, you guys really, there might be some bad consequences if you guys go and work with Russia. But that's it. There might be, there could maybe be. They've been working with Russia, by the way. When the U.S. and the rest of the West cut off the purchase of Russian oil and gas, guess who stepped up and bought it to make sure that the Russian economy is doing better than ours? Yeah, China, they bought it all. They bought it all. They're looking out for their economic interests. They're putting their interests first and foremost. So they don't care. What's funny is they're going to spend billions of dollars, send it to Russia to get the oil and gas from Russia at a price. They're getting it at a good price because most of the buy it wasn't going to buy it. And then they're going to give them military aid, but they're not really going to give them military aid. They're going to sell them military aid. So they're going to get that money right back. Brilliant. Brilliant move on behalf of the Chinese in a realpolitik kind of way. Our government is too stupid to come up with anything so smart. But anyway, back to Colbert. Colbert understands that the lab leak, leak were, the lab leak were proven true. That would be another feather in the cap of the Trump administration, another feather in the cap of Republicans, because they're the ones who are saying that it's the most obvious thing, so it's most likely to have happened. Until you prove otherwise, we have to go with the most likely thing, and since you won't cooperate, China, with any investigation, we have to assume you're hiding something, because if it were a pangolin, a rabid pangolin bit somebody in a wet market, you, you'd go, there it is, there's the proof. They won't talk to anybody about any of it, is that you're hiding something because, like I said the other day, saving face in Asian culture is wildly important. So here's Colbert last night doing his best to belittle, and keep in mind, listening to this, what I said about the low confidence aspect of the conclusion by the Department of Energy. Another surprising development this weekend. Uh, the Department of Energy released a new report saying a lab leak is the most likely origin of the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, there it is. Chinese wet markets, you're off the hook. 
Let's order a round of pangolin poppers for the table. I love a nice plate of wet apps. Now, if you're, if you're some, can we get some civet fingers, please? Now, if, like me, you're wondering why the Department of Energy is the one making this judgment, it's because that agency oversees a network of U.S. national laboratories, some of which conduct advanced biological research. No, no! Bad energy department. No bio labs until you finish building your electric car charging stations. Stay in your lane. You don't see, you don't see, you don't see, you don't see the Census Bureau building nukes. But whatever. Who am I to say? They're the energy department. I'm sure they're smart. They wouldn't release these findings unless they were absolutely confident. What's that? They made their judgment with low confidence. Yeah. You can tell by the way they deliver the news. Um, maybe it was a lab leak. That's stupid. Forget I said anything. You wonder why the American people are so stupid, why liberals are so stupid, why they're so ignorant of the reality. Stay in your lane, says the comedian who routinely opines about political issues uh, that he knows nothing about. Huh. Stay in your lane. Now we're going to bring in environmental scientist Greta Turdburglar. No, wait. No, she's a high school dropout or whatever the hell she is. And I'm, I assume they gave her her diploma. <laughs> she, her, her future isn't going to be required that she be educated. It's uh, that she just have things that she's able to regurgitate. But stay in your lane, everybody else. Huh. He's right there. Ready with the lie. Low confidence, which is, uh, low confidence means they don't really have any confidence in it. No, low confidence means they have more confidence in it than the alternative. And oh, by the way, at the beginning of that, the mockery of the Chinese culture, the mockery of Chinese wet markets, there was a time, I remember not that long ago, where that would have been considered racist, right? Wouldn't it be considered, you're making fun of Chinese wet markets and of the food that they eat, you racist. Everything involved with this was declared racist at one point or another, mostly because it was uh, declared such by Democrats who got their orders from the Chinese communists to say, don't talk about the fact that we eat weird stuff. That's racist. All right, don't, do not speculate about the origins of COVID. They tried to fend off that criticism by declaring everything racist. Everything old is new again. Now, just to prove that everything old is new again, a year and a half ago, Stephen Colbert, that same, very same guy, had Jon Stewart on. I just want to play this to juxtapose the difference between Colbert now that Democrats, now that more evidence has come out. He tries to stop Jon Stewart from talking in this clip, but he can't because he's laughing because Stephen Colbert is not a dumb person. He's a tool. He's a willing tool. He's a useful idiot. He knows his role. He wants to shut up Jon Stewart. He wants to shut up criticism of the Biden administration, He want, which wants to stop criticism of China in any way, shape, or form. But every once in a while, it gets away from him. He can't plead. He never told Jon Stewart to stay in his lane, curiously, in this clip either, but just to show that the idea of and the rationale, the logic behind a lab leak is not foreign to Stephen Colbert. What, what, what do you mean by that? Do you mean like well, so this perhaps a, is, there's, there's a chance that this is created in a lab, there's an investigation? A chance? Well, but I, so, I, 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 oh I, my if God. there's evidence, I'd love to hear it. There's I just don't a know. novel respiratory coronavirus 
overtaking Wuhan, China. What do we do? Oh, you know who we could ask? The Wuhan novel respiratory coronavirus lab. The disease is the same name as the lab. That's just, that's just a little too weird, don't you think? And then they I, ask I, those scientists, they're like, how did this... So wait a minute, you work at the Wuhan respiratory coronavirus lab. How did this happen? And they're like, mm, a pangolin kissed a turtle. <laughs> and you're like, no, I, you, you, the wait, name wait, of your lab, wait. if you look at the name, look at the name, can I, let me see your business card. Show me your business card. Oh, I work at the coronavirus lab in Wuhan. Oh, because there's a coronavirus loose in Wuhan. How did that happen? Maybe a bat flew into the cloaca of a turkey and then it sneezed into my chili and now we all have coronavirus. Like, come on. Okay, okay, okay. Wait a second. What about this? What about this? Listen to this. Wait a second. All right. John. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. There's been an outbreak of chocolatey goodness near Hershey, Pennsylvania. What do you think happened? Like, oh, I don't know. Maybe a steam shovel made it with a cocoa bean. Or it's the chocolate factory. Maybe that's it. That could be. That could be. That could be. That could be. See, Democrats are always confused by the rational, logical conclusion. No, no, no. Yes, I understand chromosomes and DNA and basic biology, but still unclear as to what a woman is. What's a man? Who's to say? See, the rational, logical conclusion causes them to cross their eyes and get a little lightheaded. A lot of like, uh, like certain people get when they play video games with flashing lights. They get all lightheaded and confused. It's weird. It's amazing that the Democrats can get lightheaded when their heads are already so light to begin with since they are unburdened by the weight of brains. Oh, by the way, I um, I wanted to comment on John Fetterman. I wanted to talk a little bit about John Fetterman just because it's a weird situation. It's sad. So he's, he's still in uh, whatever, Walter Reed. He checked into Walter Reed for clinical depression and what have you. And I'm not... Mocking the guy for clinical depression, but it's funny because his doctors released it, it, the left was trying to go after Matt Gates, say you know, Matt Gates is making fun of, of Frankenstein over there for, blah, for being depressed. No, Matt Gates is pointing out if you remember correctly, and it's weird how the investigation itself got all the fanfare, but the uh, absolution did not. Matt Gates, congressman from Florida, was accused of sex trafficking. Remember that? Child sex trafficking. and Oh, he's a horrible person. He's under investigation. And all these people were turning state's evidence. They were going to really nail Matt Gates. Oh, man, it's only a matter of time. And, and all the little goon squad over there at MSNBC was like, Matt Gates is really is under investigation for child exploitation, etc., etc., etc. And then the just Department of Justice, which can initiate investigations for political purposes but cannot manufacture evidence to back up their claims, announced with a whimper after more than a year and a half that there's no, there's no crime committed and they're, they're not charging him with anything. 
It's weird. That you probably didn't hear. So Matt Gates on uh, his, in some interview, I forget what it was. might have been his podcast. Who knows? But um, he said, I could have really, they, they tried to ruin me. They wanted me to 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 resign. They wanted me to, uh, they would have preferred me to be checking in to Walter Reed right next to John Fetterman. But I refused to. Instead, I went on a tour around the country and proclaimed my innocence. The left's trying to portray that as making fun of poor, sweet, sweet, nourishing John Fetterman. What a horrible thing to do, make fun of somebody with, with clinical depression. No, he was making a point. I understand you don't like the point, and therefore you desperately try to uh, distract from the point. But he was making the point. I am not mocking John Fetterman for suffering from clinical depression. He suffered a severe, debilitating stroke from which he may never recover. And he kind of has to live with the knowledge that he may never recover from his debilitating stroke fully because he, in the crucial time after he suffered the stroke, was led to or chose to or whatever, a combination of the two, decided to prioritize his campaign for United States Senate over his own health. Really sad. That's where family members who actually love you would step in and say, look, I know you've got a dream to be senator, but your priority has to be your health. It has to be your health. And you tell them to quit, to drop out. This is, remember, it was before the primary. But even if it wasn't before the primary, they could have made arrangements to get him out afterwards. He's just not up to it. Instead, they kept quiet. They lied. They pressured him. They promised him the world. You'll be fine. Don't worry. The fastest way to get through rehab is to not do rehab, obviously. I don't know who made that argument to him. I assume it was his wife, Giselle. So that after, you know, a couple of weeks on the job and all the rigmarole and all the learning to do before. See, if you get elected to the House or the Senate, there is you got two months to acclimate yourself to the job. You're not just showing up and then there's somebody there's on the job training the day that you're sworn in leading up to being sworn in because you've got to make it as seamless as possible. You have constituents who need to be serviced, who have issues. There's You have to have your staff in place. You have to have them all hired up and they have to work with the outgoing staff or maybe you hire the outgoing staff to stay because they need to keep that casework going or you're doing a disservice to your constituents. You also have to learn procedures, how things work. There are very specific rules for conducting yourself on the House and Senate floor and they're very different. And they're weird. and They don't make a lot of sense. So you have a lot of training sessions. You get a mentor in the United States Senate. You get a mentor. Everybody. It's usually, you know, a Republican mentor is a Democrat. A Democrat mentor is a Republican to try and foster bipartisanship, whatever. But they do. They have these mentors that say, all right, here's where you get your dinner. Here's where there's food. Here's where there's this. Here's your desk. Here's your hideaway. Here's how you, uh, there's what the buzzers mean, and here's everything. They just sort of mentor them in their first few months or first year even uh, to figure out the rules and how to conduct yourself and how to get around the Senate. John Fetterman can't do any of that because he can't understand people. 
And it's not getting any better. It's just not getting any better. So you can see why he might be depressed. One can imagine the uh, his wife is a former illegal alien. I assume she became legal when she married him, maybe before that, who knows. But she's a left-wing activist, and left-wing activists will prioritize anything and everything ahead of the, of the people they supposedly care about, ahead of, you know, the, nothing is more important to them than the agenda. So it's got to be a little bit tough on somebody sitting there with the person who should have been the gatekeeper, who should have been the one to say, honey, you can always run again in the future, but right now the first thing you have to do is get your ability to understand speech back, get your ability to communicate back. And so let's focus on that. No, that person didn't do that. That person prioritized something else. That's got to be a little depressing, that and not being able to understand your colleagues and recognizing that as much as you want to do the job, and I have no doubt that Fetterman wants to do the job, as much as you want to do the job, you are incapable of doing the job. You can't do the job. Not right now. So he checked himself into rehab. And to make things worse, I would say, by the way, his doctors, his personal doctor released a statement. That, you know, he's doing great. He's doing great there in uh, in the hospital for clinical depression. Now, these are the... You can't trust the thing that a doctor says about John Fetterman. Why? Because during the campaign, a doctor, his doctor, who was also a campaign donor, released a statement to the press saying, John Fetterman is capable of doing this job. He is perfectly fine, and there's no reason to think he couldn't do this job. It was obviously a lie. Obviously a lie. So when it comes to doctors and releasing statements about Fetterman. They always, remember how the left said, oh, uh, Donald Trump's doctor's just some weird-looking guy with scraggly hair sitting there. He's kind of crazy-looking and says weird stuff, and he says that Donald Trump is healthy and don't believe it. You should have that kind of skepticism. He was kind of a weird-looking dude who said weird things or whatever. But if you're going to have that kind of skepticism, you should have, if you're a reporter, you should have that kind of skepticism about everything any politician or any politician's doctor says. But they don't when it's a Democrat. They regurgitated what Fetterman's doctor said. They regurgitate what Biden's doctor said. Oh, the guy's tip-top shape. Oh, man, if you went to... You want him in, you want him in your pickup basketball team. You want... Like, no, he can... He falls going upstairs constantly. One of these times... He's going to fall going down. He's going to try to, he's going to have some sort of bad report. He's going to try, mark my words, he's going to try to do his little turkey trot down the stairs as he tries to do, see, going up the stairs is much easier. And if you fall, you just fall forward and get back up. If you fall going down the stairs, you're in a lot of trouble. Always take your time, use the handrails, et cetera, et cetera. Joe Biden tries to do his turkey trot upstairs to say, look at how vigorous I am because he's not vigorous at all. I always say, if you are something, you don't have to tell people you are. You don't have to demonstrate to people you are. They'll know you're smart, you're funny, you're good-looking, you're whatever. They'll know you're spry simply because you're spry, not because you're sitting going, look at how spry I am. You're not the uh, Mandelbaums from Seinfeld. Remember them? Lloyd Bridges and everybody, they're t picking up the TV. You think you're better than me. 
watch me pick up that TV, and they are hurting themselves constantly because they were trying to prove they could do things without hurting themselves. That's Joe Biden. Anyway, on the Fetterman front, his loving wife, absolutely devoted wife, Giselle, upon hearing the news, you learning, discovering, whatever, that's sinking in. You'd think she'd be in on the decision. Maybe she was. Who knows? That her husband was checking himself into a uh, hospital for clinical depression. She did what any devoted spouse would do. She immediately rushed to get the hell out of the country. What? Yeah. No, she did. Newsweek. Criticism on social media. Uh, uh, Critics on social media have questioned the decision by Giselle Barreto Fetterman, wife of U.S. Senator John Fetterman, to leave the country following her husband's hospitalization. Giselle Fetterman tweeted on February 24th that she had taken the couple's children to Canada amid intense media attention following the senator's admission to a hospital to receive treatment for clinical depression. Quote, I'm not really sure how to navigate this journey, but I am figuring it out slowly. One week ago today, when the news dropped, the kids were off from school and the media trucks circled our home. I did the first thing I could think of, pack them into the car and drive. We drove straight into Canada. Oh, you drove straight to Canada. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, For those of you playing the home game, Washington, well, Bethesda, where Walter Reed is, is in the opposite direction from Canada, right? If you wanted to hide from the media, and I don't think that, like, when you're somebody who craves media attention and is known for craving media attention, uh, when you get media attention, forgive me if I don't believe you, really, oh, this media attention is making you uncomfortable. That's, That's what you wanted. You lived for media attention, all right? You had no problems for it. You sought it out during the campaign. You've sought it out during the two weeks he was able to sort of go through the motions of pretending to be an active United States senator. You love media attention. Oh, now we're getting it. Well, you don't want the media attention because why? Because maybe one of them would ask, do you think you forcing your husband, pressuring her, do you think you should have maybe talked your husband out of running? You don't want to be asked that question? I mean, you can be relatively sure that you're not going to be asked that question because you're dealing with a whole bunch of Democrats. But I can understand why the the prospect of maybe being asked that question would bother you. You really, really, really have to be racked with guilt for that to happen. But that's not a value judgment, just a statement of my opinion. But if you really wanted to get away from that media attention, you could have, I don't know, checked into a hotel close to your husband so that you, whom you presumably love, I'm assuming facts, not in evidence, but I'm assuming um, you could, I don't know, put it, the you and the because if your husband is really clinically depressed, seriously depressed, knowing that it's like a day and a half journey because you drove, you took your car, it's a day and a half journey probably with kids, that many kids to get to see their dad. How do you think their dad is going to feel if he's depressed already? Oh, man, I I feel horrible. I could really use some, some loved ones around me. Oh, don't worry. Your loved ones have voluntarily moved you know, five hours further away from you. But don't worry. It's all good. It's all good. We'll figure it out. 
Sharing a photo and short video, she added that her children, quote, did some scary things, but we did them together. We ziplined over Niagara Falls, and August, one of the kids, got stuck. Yeah. Sounds like she's having a blast. Hey, honey, I know you're down in the dumps, but I'm living my best life. Subtle message to Senator Fetterman. We're better off without you. No, that's too cruel, but we'd be just fine without you. (laughs) Some social media users were highly critical of that decision and questioned why she had chosen to leave the U.S. while John Fetterman remains in hospital. Quote, John Fetterman's wife absurdly, uh, abruptly leaves the country while he is hospitalized. Her husband gets hospitalized with severe depression. Her first thoughts is to leave the country. Wow, says Colin Rugg co-owner of Trending Politics, whatever that is. Never heard of it. The competition is over. We have a winner. Giselle Fetterman edges out Meghan Markle and Joe Biden for worst wife in the world, says somebody named Jerry Callahan. They have a point, don't they? They have a point, don't they? What did we get with the Trump administration. We got nonstop wild speculation. Donald Trump was having secret medical procedures. Mrs. Trump was having, or uh, Melania Trump was having secret medical procedures and nobody was paying attention to it. Nobody cares. They don't care. They're not paying attention to each other. They don't hold hands enough. Then they hold hands like, look at Donald Trump. He's grabbing her hand. It's forcibly grabbing her hand. She doesn't want to hold his hand, obviously, by the way that he reached out and grabbed her hand, et cetera, et cetera. Every little thing, the body, uh, body language experts on television go, this is, we can tell. Look at, look at the way she's looking and leaning away. And right there, that means that she wants to stab him. And that means that he's having affairs left and right. And this means that and the other thing. And you go, well, this is what passes for news. And now you've got somebody who goes a thousand miles in the other direction to get away from their husband because there are media trucks parked outside their home when there are, and I know where Walter Reed is. Everybody knows where Walter Reed is. They're not hotels right across the street, but there are plenty of hotels in the nation's capital, believe it or not. Plenty of hotels around the nation's capital. The Fettermans, particularly him, I don't know about her, being an illegal alien, it's unlikely. She likely married economically up. But the Fetterman family is wealthy. They supported his lazy ass until he was 41 years old. He didn't have a real job till then, till he was elected mayor of a horrible town, which he managed to make worse. So they have the money for a hotel. She chose to go in the opposite direction. Okay, you just want to be away from the media attention. Why are you doing the bumper cars and the zip line and telling the world, okay, it's one thing to do those things, I guess, if you just uprooted the kids in a weird way, you took them away from their father who's in the hospital, and maybe they found out about that their father's in the hospital, they might be wondering why they're not visiting dad in the hospital, etc., etc., okay, fine. But at a certain point, don't you go, we're going to try to distract the kids from this. Why do you tell the world? Why do you post pictures of you ziplining? Zipline, go ahead, have fun. That's fine. But why do you feel the need to tell the world? If you're afraid of the media attention, 
what do you think the second word in social media is? Who do you think the bulk of your followers are the reason you have so many followers? And she has a lot of followers. Where do you think those came from? They came from her regular media appearances by, with media people who follow her on social media. They elevated her as the proxy candidate because Frankenstein couldn't speak or hear or understand. So they interviewed her. They had her sitting next to him, making sure the teleprompter was right, jumping in when he screwed up because he misheard things or was jumbling his words. She is a media star because she was a social media star. There are plenty of other senators out there, 99 others. I would venture to say that 90 of them would have their spouses not be surrounded by media should something critical to their health befall them. Why? Because people don't know who they are. They don't have that relationship with the spouse. The spouse is not out there putting themselves out there as a media star. So that you need to get away, ironically enough, from Frankenstein's monster, Dr. Giselle Frankenstein, leaves me with not a whole lot of sympathy for you. It makes me think that maybe you're not in this for the right reasons. It makes me think that maybe, just maybe, the rumors, the stories, the mean things that were said during the campaign, that you ultimately want John to be removed one way or another from the position as United States Senator and let the Democrat governor appoint you to replace him might not be just one of those mean girl kind of things that people say about somebody. It might not be the misogyny that it was portrayed as. But then again, so much of what Democrats do and say is not at all what it is portrayed as, isn't it? It's weird how that works, isn't it? Shifting gears more locally here, and boy, how it doesn't matter where your locality is. Democrats are Democrats are Democrats. This just happens to be here. But um, the stupidity will come for you if you elect Democrats. That's why there are so many refugees, actually blue state refugees, blue refugees, Democrat refugees going to red states going, oh, I just can't abide by the crime anymore up there in New York. And all oh, the taxes, 52% of it. And then you go to Florida and you go, well, we've got to vote for Democrats. Republicans are intolerant. Well, if you're so tolerant of Democrat policies, why'd you move 2,000 miles away from them? Yeah, you, you just left Utopia because it was a nightmare. And now you're going, what you really need is the utopia that you just fled, the nightmare. This is part of the reason, by the way, that uh, Democrats are not doing so well with the Hispanic vote. It really is. Not doing super well with the Hispanic vote. Why? Because the people who immigrated to this country from South and Central America were fleeing socialism to one degree or another communism socialism they're different sides of the same coin they were fleeing that the economic ruin that political corruption along with uh, socialism brought to these countries caused millions upon millions of people to flee now it might not be the current generation that fled them 
but they heard stories from mom and dad or grandma and grandpa about why it is they fled. Why did you leave El Salvador? Well, it was because things were going so well down there. They started implementing hard left policies that really gave everybody just high paying jobs. I left because my lower back was hurting from carrying around such a thick wallet wadded up with cash. I could no longer do that to myself, and therefore I left, said no one ever. They fled the policies that they are now hearing Democrats in this country promise to implement if given absolute power. And so a huge percentage of Hispanics, as they really more and more come to this realization, are going, you and recoiling in horror at the prospect, as they should. Now, you would think that that might work with different voting blocks and going, you know, generation after generation, they promise to make things better and things only get worse and things really suck here in this city. But it doesn't. It doesn't because it's, they didn't move. It's the fish or the frog in boiling water. You throw a frog in boiling water, it jumps out. You put a frog in a pot of water, put that water on the stove, turn it on, and the frog won't jump out. It won't notice the water getting warm around it until it's dead. Until it's cooked and delicious frog legs but that kind of uh, that's the kind of thing we have going on here people don't leave they don't they haven't experienced anything else so they don't really recognize you can notice all sorts of things uh, or not notice all sorts of things you really can not notice all sorts of things as they're happening to you as they're happening around you because you see them so incrementally but if you move away from an area and then you go back to visit that area five, ten years, even sometimes even a year later, you go, oh, my God, that business is new. That building is new. They painted that thing. What the hell happened to the other thing? And now there's, you know, whatever. You notice those things when you go back to visit places you did live and did leave an impression on you. But if you never leave, you don't notice that things have changed. You go, no, that that 7-Eleven's always been there for, I don't know, five, ten years. Like, no, it was opened a year ago. Well, whatever. I don't know. Democrats thrive in that sort of obliviousness. And economic illiteracy is their oxygen. And that brings us to Maryland. Baltimore's son, Governor Wes Moore, pushing to follow through on one of his top campaign pledges, told a panel of lawmakers Monday that Maryland urgently must increase its minimum wage ahead of schedule and enact yearly increases that tie it to inflation. If lawmakers four years ago scheduled the wage to increase, increase, to, eh, increase to reach $15 an hour, in 2025, the first Democratic governor's bill would put that wage in place in October. Annual increases based on inflation would begin in July of 2025. Democrats aren't content to simply screw over their present existence. They want to screw over the future as well. They did the same thing in this state with the gas tax. Tommy Carchetti, Martin O'Malley, governor, raised, wanted the gas tax raised, wanted the gas, well, voting to raise the gas taxes politically popular for a little bit with certain people because they go, oh, you're going to give us more money. It's wonderful. We're just going to be soaking the rich. They don't realize that it's a regressive tax. The rich guy doesn't even notice it. But your gas becomes more expensive relative to your income. Like I say, Democrats thrive in ignorance. But not only that, they didn't want to have to vote on it once people realized that they were getting screwed by paying more for gas. 
you can only bitch about the gas, oh, those evil oil companies for so long before you realize or somebody tells you, you know, it's not the oil companies that's making the money. The government makes more money than the oil companies do per gallon of gas, right? That's why they're not any just gas stations out there. That's why the gas stations are coupled with convenience stores. They make more money selling candy bars and Mountain Dew than they do selling gas and cigarettes. They sell much money, make money cigarettes. But again, government makes more money selling cigarettes because they tax the hell out of it, federal and state and local, depending on where you are. The government is the mafia in this. They're always wetting their beaks and it always works out to their advantage, even if it's to the detriment of everybody else. The parasite has no problem killing the host. The mafia says, you will give us $1,000 a week. I can only afford 500 Oh, no, you owe us. And they beat the hell out of you, beat the hell out of you. Eventually, they'll burn down your business. Now, $500 a week was more than nothing per week that they're getting now that they burn down the business, but they don't care because there'll be another business come in there and they'll try to get that $1,000 a week out of them. Government, same way. Tax and regulate, tax and regulate. Make more money than the actual owner of the store does out of the store and then eventually they regulate and tax and price things out of existence and the store has to close the parasite has killed the host parasite doesn't care there'll be a new host along sooner or later and there's a lot of hosts out there already then you you sit there and you go there's consolidation in this industry and consolidation in that industry and there's too few businesses in this line of work well it's because Every one of the smaller investors, every one of the smaller companies, every one of the potential entrants into this market, you, you smothered with a pillow when they were young with regulations. You wonder why they didn't work out. You wonder why. Because the location and the logistics and everything, the physical store is still there. So then in comes, you got a family-owned liquor store, convenience store, and then they go out of business. And in comes 7-Eleven going, hey, landlord. You're getting no rent right there. We'll give you some rent so they get a better break on rent. We'll sign a longer-term lease because we know we can work with government and we can outlive all this crap. And suddenly there's more 7-Elevens where there used to be local, family-owned things. And you go, oh, man, the death of family-owned small businesses is an outrage. It's somehow the fault of Republicans. No, it's not. You did it. You're the one with the pillow in your hand. After uh, blah, 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 four years ago, they want to proceed. Now, businesses have made plans. They've made plans based on the minimum wage going up in 2025. And now incomes, it's it's the word of government, right? This is what we're doing, plan accordingly. And so businesses made the mistake of taking them at their word and said, okay, we'll plan accordingly. And then in comes Wes Moore piece of garbage that he is says we've got to move this up why well because i want it moved up i want it moved up i don't care figure it out now in westmore's nonprofit, really the only person getting paid an awful lot was him they didn't do a whole hell of a lot so the closest thing he did running an actual business was make a million dollars off of a charity that had you know no real accountability he doesn't understand how this impacts people Moreover, he doesn't care. You lose your job, so what? You become government dependent, then you're more likely to vote for the re-election of Wes Moore. 
re-election of Democrats, more Democrats everywhere because, oh, it's the fault of those Republicans somehow. Quote, these same families have been hit hard by the aftermath of COVID. They've seen the cost of living go up as a result of disease and war. More t- more, no, it's not disease and war. I, look, I get he's towing the party line. He's doing what he's told. He's a very good dog. You don't get to be a rising star, quote unquote, before you set foot in office without being an obedient dog. But how stupid does he think his voters are? I guess, I mean, they voted for him overwhelmingly, so I guess the question answers itself. The result of disease and war. Inflation is not a result of disease. Inflation is a result of incompetence at the the transportation department from Secretary Mayor Pete in managing the supply chain and Joe Biden's printing of trillions of dollars that were unnecessary. Has nothing to do with the war. Oh, Putin's, it's all Putin's fault for high gas prices. Remember, that's all Putin's fault for high gas. Now gas prices come down. They go, you're welcome, America. Joe Biden saved you. He, he, He managed to counteract high prices from Putin. And you thank him and vote for him and love him and kiss him and hug him. And then gas prices go up again. They go, it's Putin's fault again. Well, I thought you took care of that problem. Nope, Putin's fault. President can't be responsible for, they had nothing to do with rising gas prices. The West morons of the world believe that. Continue the quote from his testimony. The thirteen twenty-five per hour that would have meant so much to them a few years ago means less today when goods as basic as eggs and milk cost so much more than they used to. Well, congratulations, you've created inflation. Your party has created inflation. And now you're finding that it's difficult to live in a world with the inflation that you've created. Huh. So then you must punish businesses which are already suffering because of your inflation, right? Congratulations. The bill would increase wages for about 175,000 Maryland workers and in turn help the 126,000 children in those families, according to the independent Maryland Center on Economic Policy. When a liberal outlet tells you that an organization is independent, Know that they are lying to you. Get a colonoscopy because smoke is being blown up your rear end. Moore had stated in his testimony that it would impact 217,000 workers and 150,000 children, though his office later said those figures were from outdated data. What happened? 24,000 kids just disappeared? Nothing has changed as far as the imposition of ridiculous wages for jobs that aren't worth half that much. Where did those children go? Where did those families go? Maybe they fled the state because of horrible stewardship, Democrat control. Just just an aside. But what do you think is going to happen when they do this? They're going to screw over businesses, and businesses are going to go, we're going to need fewer workers, and you're going to have to work more. You're going to have to work harder. The owners, the families are going to have to work more. They're going to have to find ways to move things off the books. They're going to have to, their, their salary is off the books. They're salaried, so their hours are off the books. Their kids are going to have to come in and help with it. Kids aren't going to get paid, but, you know, kids will get paid in being able to eat and have a house. Or they're going to move. I wouldn't blame them for moving. You get what you deserve. This is what Democrat policies do. Will most of them move? No, most of them won't move. Most of them will adapt. And Democrats will use that as, see, things weren't as bad as they predicted. 
Well, here's just a little thought. If you are working in a minimum wage job, there aren't very many heart surgeons that earn a minimum wage. There aren't very many anything, really, that earn minimum wage. There are some, it's actually right now in the economy, it's, it's almost difficult, it's almost impossible to earn minimum wage. You really have to be an entry-level bag stuffer at a grocery store that still has bag stuffers to earn minimum wage or a burger flipper. If that is what you do, you're not worth your labor, not you as a person, but your labor is not worth $15 an hour. It is not worth $15 an hour. You can be replaced with a touch screen and a credit card swiper. You are not, your labor is not worth $15 an hour. Even the assembly of food is going to be automated very soon, which is good because that reduces the likelihood of somebody spitting in your food or somebody with uh, a cold or some other sickness, putting your food together and a little bit in your food, not on purpose, even by accident. Increases the odds of something gross being stuck on the conveyor belt and then getting on your food, whatever. But that's beside the point. They'll have automatic cleaning of these things as well. A couple of hundred degrees of steam to steam it off, what have you. So what you'll get ultimately is smaller businesses just going out of business or impressing family into the labor market so as to avoid having to pay these inflated and forever rising job uh, salaries, wages. You'll have national chains that can afford to automate, automating even faster, and larger factories and larger companies that can that geographically aren't married to any physical location moving across the border to another state or across the country or maybe to another or, or to another country it doesn't matter some will not all not most but some will democrats don't care they really don't care this is what westmore i promised to ruin the economy it sounds good i'm going to give you a raise If you need the government to give you a raise, you aren't worth what you're making already. And you're most likely to use your job, lose your job, when the government does come in and mandate that you get a raise. If you work for minimum wage for more than a couple of months, you're doing it wrong. You either have a piss-poor work ethic or you work for a jerk who you shouldn't work for. Either way, you should always be looking. You want to work for minimum wage, it starts you off. But all these people, I've worked for a minimum wage for 20 years. I deserve a raise. No, you, you deserve a smack upside the head. What the hell's wrong with you? What bad life choices did you make to still be working for minimum wage after six months, let alone years? Don't worry, the government is going to come in and do what they always do, do what the left does. They are the Pope. They want to absolve everybody of responsibility. They're the wave of their hand. You're only making minimum wage because your boss isn't afraid of losing you. You're only going to get hired for another minimum wage job. If you're good, you'll get a raise, even if the thought that your boss is going to lose you. But anyway, this is your government. This is our government. This is how it works. And you wonder why things are about to really get worse. Stuff like this, man, it'll make him popular. Oh, Westmore will be very popular amongst the sewing circles and the uh, cocktail set in Annapolis. But as far as economically, the impact it'll have down the road, it'll be about as pop.
popular as a skunk in a car. And I just saw this on uh, Twitter. Tom Sizemore. Tom Sizemore, the actor. He'd been hospitalized. There were, uh, it wasn't really sure what he was doing, but now the Associated Press is reporting. More than a week after Tom Sizemore suffered a brain aneurysm, a representative for the actor's family is, quote, says the actor's family is, quote, now deciding on end-of-life matters. It's sad. How old is he? His two children, two 17-year-old boy twi- twins. It doesn't say how old. He was born in 1961. So that makes him 63-ish, 62, November 1961. Quote, today doctors inform the family that there is no further hope and have recommended end-of-life end, end decisions, Sizemore's manager, Chris Lago, said in a statement. Now, he's, you don't know who he is. He's, you've, if you saw him, you'd, you'd recognize him. He's been in a million things. He's a really good actor. He was in Saving Private Ryan. He was the number two commander guy and chain of command behind tom hanks throughout that he was um in heat he was one of the bad guys that with val kilmer i think he was the second bad guy val kilmer it was well as de niro val kilmer and then tom sizemore he's in black hawk down you name it he's got a million how many credits does he have here on imdb he's got 229 acting credits so he's been in everything. He did have a history of substance abuse. He's in and out of rehab. But he'd done, you know, he'd been clean for a while. I'm trying to think of what else he would have been known for. Black Hawk Down, The Relic. It's apparently in Cobra Kai, too. But it looks like he's going to pass very soon. It's sad. Natural Born Killers. He was in Natural Born Killers as well. Controversial guy, if you will, but a good actor. So rest in peace, Tom Sizemore, when it happens. Unless there's a miracle. Let's hope that it is a miracle. But, you know, probably not. Anyway, we've got uh, this audio that I want to get to of, of the President of the United States. And what a just an absolute and total fraud he is. Before we leave, I have to point that out and have to illustrate it with audio. They they had a group of students from HBCUs, Historically Black Colleges and Universities, at the White House yesterday because we're at the end of Black History Month. And Democrats want to pander all they can to black voters. That's it. Do you really think they'd give a damn? Yes, Kamala Harris attended Howard University. But so what? So what? She's moved on. She uses that as currency to deflect from her failures. That's it. It was really actually smart for her to move, to go there, because it allows her to deflect from her failures going forward. But the Trump administration, this is why Republicans need to not pander this. If you want to talk about another mistake in the Trump administration, the criminal justice reform is a big mistake in the Trump administration. Oh, we're letting people out of, we're decriminalizing this, we're letting people out of prison. It's a, it's a compassionate thing. They're in prison for a reason, okay? You want to talk about individual cases, you can talk about individual cases. But classes of prisoners, classes of criminals, classes of crimes, you shouldn't just sort of go, eh, forget it. Unless you're going to make it completely legal everywhere. That's, besides, that's for another day. There's more details than that. But, and also the perpetual funding or long-term funding of HBCUs. 
I don't care that they're HBCUs. I don't care that any university or college in this country exists. I don't care that they exist. My alma mater, you could shut it down today. I really couldn't care less. I have no nostalgic nostalgia for it. Nothing. My belief is that if an institution, no matter what it is, if it's an institution based on anything, merit, race, and everything in between, because those are opposite of one another, if they can't support themselves, they need to close. Shouldn't get government subsidies. If my college couldn't exist without government money, my college shouldn't exist. Now, I get it. I'm the least sentimental person when it comes to this sort of crap. I don't have any school pride or anything like that. I never have, never will. It's too late anyway, but I just don't care about those sorts of things. Anyway, don't you want to... I love getting the the letters, please consider giving to your alma mater. And like, hell no, never. But I won't tell them hell no, never, because I want them to waste the money on the stamp. I want them to waste the money that they spend begging me for money to, I want to keep doing that just out of spite. I have no loyalty. I don't even know what their mascot is, to be honest with you. It changed. It's, I think it changed while I was there. I don't even remember. But I don't don't care. It was something, a box I had to check. Anyway, the President of the United States has these HBCU kids in there, and he's pandering. You, you notice... Joe Biden has all these lies that are, he speaks to Jewish groups and suddenly he grew up with a yarmulke and going to synagogue every Saturday. He said that. He speaks to an Indian group. Oh man, you can't uh, go to an Indian, you can't go to a 7-Eleven in Delaware without a slight Indian accent. I'm honorary Indian. I have uh, curry in my pocket right now, as a matter of fact. I'm just so super Indian. And he speaks to a group of black people and suddenly he's Malcolm X before Malcolm X had his epiphany. He's Malcolm X, man. He's Talcum X. Come on, man. I was nobody was more. I uh, I tried my desperate most to climb up those stairs at that Memphis hotel and throw myself in front of the bullet that was launched towards Martin Luther King Jr. That's how close I was to the civil rights. How involved I was in the civil rights movement. I just couldn't make it. That's I, I keep waiting for him to tell that story. He doesn't actually give details of anything that he did during the civil rights movement. He's just so damn old that he just says, oh, in my time in the civil rights movement, makes a, a vague reference to it and then moves on. Being a Democrat, well, of course he's a civil rights movement. Actually, when Democrats talk about being involved in the civil rights movement, the real question you should be asking is, which side were you on? Huh? Which side of the Edmund Pettus Bridge were you on? Were you the guys getting the crap beat out of them or the guys beating the crap out of them because the Democrats were not on the side of getting the crap beat out of them. Look it up. It's called history. They haven't whitewashed it yet, but boy, howdy, they're trying to. They got the bleach on on hold. Anyway, here's Joe Biden yesterday talking to uh, the HBCU kids about his involvement in the civil rights movement. You know, uh, I know most of those songs for a simple reason. As my buddy from Delaware can tell you, when you're involved in the civil rights movement as a kid in high school, I used to go down to the black church. I go to 7.30 mass. I'm a practicing Catholic. Then I go to 10 o'clock. And then we sit and plan what we're going to do in terms of decent. You think I'm joking. I'm not. You think I'm joking. I'm No, you're not joking. You're lying. There's a difference. A joke is told for comic effect. A lie is told for your own glory. And that's the difference. I got it. That's what you do. A high school kid. 
High School Kitty was involved in the civil rights movement. So let's get in the Wayback Machine and just listen to a couple of, not all of, the greatest hits of Joe Biden talking about his involvement in the civil rights movement. He looked at me and said, Joe, you should run. I said, but I, I, I'm, I feel strongly about all these issues, but I got involved in the civil rights movement and the war. But I, I, he said, Joe, you should do it. Joe, you should run. Talking about running for Senate when he was 34 years old. But I've been involved in the civil rights movement. Well, that's a little bit older than he said. He also said the anti-war movement, another movement he started to, another movement he was not involved with. Not at all. Joe Biden's involvement in the anti-war movement involved getting five draft deferments for asthma that no human being has ever seen him suffer from. Yeah. He was a high school and college football player, riddled with asthma to the point that he couldn't possibly serve in the military. You know, that old story. Now here's Joe talking. You just heard him in the first clip say that he got involved in the civil rights movement when he was in high school. Now here's Joe saying he got involved in the civil rights movement when he was 22 years old. I have two political heroes my entire life when I started off as a 22-year-old kid in the east side of the civil rights movement. <laughs> 20, now there, Joe Biden is dumb. I've got to give him credit and give him the benefit of the doubt. Joe Biden is dumb enough that he could well have been a 22-year-old high school student. You've got to allow for that possibility. But he wasn't. He was in college at that point. So he's a 22-year-old getting involved in the civil rights movement, which, by the way, for the record, he did not ever do. Never. Never once was he involved in the civil rights movement. One more time, Joe Biden makes this claim. I got elected to, I got very engaged, in my case, in the civil rights movement. And uh, as a kid... I was uh, I worked a lot in, in the movement and worked and I got deeply involved in the Democratic Party because the Democratic Party in Delaware was a Southern Democratic Party then. We were a, more a Southern state than a than a Northeastern state, and I got involved and one thing led to another, and uh, one day a group came to me of the senior members of the party and said they wanted me to run for the Senate. There he's like, no, look, the Southern Democratic Party, meaning racist, meaning the segregationist. Those people wanted him to run. He got involved in the civil rights movement with those people, with that Democratic Party, which makes you wonder, what side were you on, Joe? Had you been at the Edmund Pettus Bridge that day, would you have been one of the white guys holding the bats? Huh? Would you have driven Bull Carner around town? Would that be who you are, Joe? I think it kind of is. Now, back in 1987, though, back when Joe Biden was still very stupid, but at least more lucid, he did admit that he never marched in the civil rights movement. It had nothing to do with it. During the 60s, I was, in fact, very concerned about the civil rights movement. I was not an activist. I worked at an all-black swimming pool in the east side of Wilmington, Delaware. I was involved. I was involved in what what they were thinking, what they were feeling. I was involved, but I was not out marching. I was not down in Selma. I was not anywhere else. <laughs> I was not anywhere else. You mean not at all the black churches you grew up in? You weren't down there? Wait a second. You just said, huh, that's weird. So you were a lifeguard at a black pool. Suddenly that makes you what? An honorary black guy? I don't think that's how it works, Joe. 
Our president is a complete and total liar. A fact that, by the way, CNN reported. Here's Jake Tapper, just from about a, from the primaries. Uh, he lied to voters, according to the New York Times, uh, quoting aides of, of Biden's, about having marched in the civil rights movement. This is Biden making this false claim in 1987. When I marched in the civil rights movement, I did not march with a 12-point program. I marched with tens of thousands of others to change attitudes. And the New York Times reports, quote, more than once, advisors had gently reminded Mr. Biden of the problem with this formulation. He had not actually marched during the civil rights movement. And more than once, Mr. Biden assured them that he understood and kept telling the story anyway. That is really, really weird. No, it's not really, really weird, Jake. That's the only time you've ever called him out on it. One time on one show. Why wouldn't he keep telling the lie? You've been enabling him to get away with it his whole damn career. You and people like you. That's our president. That's the Democratic Party. You ever get the feeling you're being lied to? You are. That's all the time we have for today. I do appreciate the hell out of the use of your ears. Please tell a friend. Come back tomorrow. Bring that friend with him, even if you got to get him in a headlock. We'll have more insanity coverage because the crazy never stops on this beautiful blue marble we spin through space on. Thanks for listening. Have a great one.